Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, today it's a little late, but I had to spend this morning writing up a Shabbat Shuvah drasha. Uh, the only speech that I ever write up are for Shabbat Shuvah, on Shabbat Shuvah, which I do in the afternoon in my show, but uh, each one's a couple hours, so can't just... Uh, anyway, that, I choose to write them down <coughs> on the sugi of uh, whatever I'm talking about. Now, uh, today's podcast I was asked to uh, dedicate to the member by sponsor the memory of uh, the father, grandfather Ari Elbaum and Avron, father of Howard Elbaum. It's Avram Menachem and Yitzhak Yehuda, who I understand the arts will be on Sunday. Okay, Elbaum's, of course, among my favorite people. And if not for them, you, <laughs> this whole podcast business and a few other people, the handful of uh, of uh, individuals, supporters, tech people, I wouldn't be able to do any of this kind of stuff because I have three left hands, as those who know me are quite aware. By the way, my son's in Israel, in uh, yeshiva over there, and he just wrote to me, he's looking for some places uh, for meals as boys have to find on, on Sukkot. So if anybody's out there staying in a nice place, let me know if you'll be in Yerushalayim on Sukkot. Uh, I'll give you business. Uh, but to get down to what we're talking about today, I have to take my mind out of Shabbat Shuvah and stick it on the Parsha Bayelach. Of course, we're in Arab Yom Kippur almost. But let me try to confine a few remarks, not long today. I keep saying that. But I'll try to keep it short on Parsha Bayelach, which I think is the shortest. And here the most remarkable part is this pessimism, which is kind of interesting. Uh, God says to Moshe, Hang cover your mechalamus, you're going to die soon, and so on and so forth. And uh, I just want you to know something. After you're gone, the Jews will all screw up. Uh, soon you're going to die, he says to Moshe. And as soon as the Jews hit Israel, they're going to go and be mezana, meaning turn aside to follow the gods of Canaan. Vazavuni. Uh, and they're going to abandon me, God says. And they're going to violate the commandments. I spent 40 years with you, Moses, in the desert, trying to teach the Jews Yiddishkeit, keeping you within the Anani covered, far away from any other influence, but as soon as they hit Israel, I'm God, I can see what's going to happen, and uh, uh, it's not going to be pretty. And I'll get angry at them. God says, and I will abandon them. It's all in this week's parsha. And I'll do a Hester Panam on them. So it knows I won't answer their prayers. It'll look like I'm not there. And if the Jews are left without, you know, God's uh, presence of being there, knows that there's not something in the uh, atmosphere to make the others scared of attacking the Jews, then they will be food, baby. Meaning, they'll be, as we say in English, they'll be toast. Okay? And they'll get hit with all kind of tochacha stuff. And what will be there? This is the interesting part. Over here, what will what will be the, the the answer? Will be the reaction over there at that time? It will be, um, 
it will be, there is no God, it doesn't exist. Like, like uh, you know, from the Holocaust. Uh, it's very interesting. You like this Eli Wiesel business I always caught. Uh, look what they'll say. V'yomar who halo ki God is not here with me, and therefore all these things are happening to me. It's almost like, the, you know, there's nobody in charge. Uh, nobody in charge. Uh, instead of saying, we have sinned, and it's our fault, and God is there, but he's uh, punishing us, uh, God is no longer with me. That's where all these evils are happening to us. And what that means is, uh, we're alone and abandoned, and, uh, you know, we're praying to anti-Semites, and that's the type of world it is. So God has abandoned us. A lot of people, I'm sure, felt that way during the show up, for example, right? And you know, Hashem's saying it up front, so when it happens, you'll know what happens. Uh, and what happened? And I will do Hester Panam on him. Really sounds like the Holocaust, doesn't it? I'll call a rush, or I'll soak Machrim. It will be their fault because they turn to other gods. In other words, it won't simply be a problem of theodicy. Why is it just God allowing bad things to happen? Justice will be served. They will have done since, but uh, they won't be man enough to realize it or admit it, which is very interesting because when misfortune strikes somebody, uh, certainly in the first half of life, you never say it's your fault. <laughs> Maybe in the second half of life. First half, you don't say it's your fault. You say, uh, you know, this is not fair. It's not right. Uh, the Jewish religion is a pretty harsh religion. And once you understand, it says in different places, relatives will suffer for, for the sins committed by relatives. Uh, that's not right. That's not fair. Children will suffer the sins of their parents. Nobody would say that nowadays. Not in liberal culture. And so instead what they'll say is it's unjust God. Um, instead of saying that, uh, you know, this stuff is all told up beforehand. So it's kind of harsh in that way. But that's the point of the parsha. Therefore God tells Moshe, I want you to write down the Torah, especially the Tochah parts, so that they'll know beforehand, right, uh, what's happening to them, and that they will interpret the various holocausts and inquisitions and that sort of thing within a specific historical framework, historiosophical framework. In other words, these bad things are happening because they're, they're pre-told told beforehand, and they're part of a plan. And if these misfortunes do strike, or when they strike, so look, God is pretty pessimistic over here, so when they strike, uh, so this will give him the fortitude to withstand and not really totally give up and think that, God, that they're forgotten. But, uh, you know, they'll never... Because I know the Yates are the Jews. Even before I take them into Israel, I know they're going to mess up. So, I mean, that's uh, not glorious. They should say this. Oh, I'm giving you the Ten Commandments and the Torah for sublime reasons. Don't we all say that, uh, you know, uh, the Torah is the most glorious thing around and uh, it teaches us so much uh, sublime messages? No, it says over here in this week's Parsha, I'm writing this down because you're a bunch of stubborn son of guns and you won't admit that the misfortunes are going to strike you or do to you unless you see it blueprinted before you. You understand? If you look at it in the Chumash, you say, oh, bad things are happening. Must be that we did bid. Right now, it's in the middle of a serious mitzvah. We say slichas every morning. At least the Ashkenazim, the one, that's the ones I'm familiar with. And all the Ashkenazic uh, slichas 
are full of this business of the Hashem Bush upon him. You know, now this is all our fault. Uh, and uh, you know, some somebody's sleepers are pretty uh, anguished, and they say, "Do we do so bad?" But uh, nevertheless, the, the fundamental idea over there is, if anything's happening to us, it's our fault. This is actually a very healthy attitude. Why do I say that? If a person ascribes misfortunes to failings on his own part, then it means it's always possible to repair these misfortunes by reforming and changing. You know what I'm saying? If the Holocaust was brought about, for example, because anti-sentiment is literally incorrigible, it's going to pop up, perhaps in increasing lethality, later and later, later, then you have no choice. But if you say, the reason the Holocaust happened is because people did sins, you can say, okay, fine, so don't do sins, and then it won't happen. It empowers. This is the theory behind Tisha B'Av and the other holidays. If the temples were destroyed because of our virus, then it's empowering to say that, because then we can fix it. You understand? Ah, you don't fix it? So you fix it tomorrow. Meaning, the ability is there, even if you're too lazy to take advantage of it. You view reality in those terms, as opposed to simply saying, it's like global warming, baby. If you're one of these scientists, you say the planet is doomed, and there's nothing to do about it, and uh, goodbye. So a Jew can say, well, you know, the anti-Semitism at us, and we're doomed, and just say goodbye. Sooner or later, another Hitler's going to pop up and finish the job. Uh, the Pasha of Ayala says, no, 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 no. It, it's because of you. Uh, you can fix it. You can change it. And even if bad things happen, lo si shukachmi pizarro. Uh, it won't be totally destroyed. God will never totally forget them. Uh, which is kind of interesting. And Moshe transmits this pessimistic uh, speech in a few psukim later, in uh, Shvi, I guess, where it says, Vaitzab Moshe Zalbim, he commands the Lavim, Lakoch at Sefer Torah I just wrote you out a Torah. This is the original Torah, uh, maybe part of the 12, 13 copies that he made. This is already a uh, a whole area of discussion. I don't think I have time for it now. I don't think most people are, are aware of this. You know, the, what what happened to the old Torahs. And uh, we don't have any of them anymore. And the first temple, uh, each tribe had its own copy. But there was a master copy, which you're talking about over here, kept in the ark. Which they would actually take out from time to time, believe it or not. And examine when there were issues about Gerses. And that means that it's not true that only the Kohen Godel once a year on Yom Kippur ever enters the Kodesh Kedoshim. Uh You can enter the Kodesh Kedoshim other times if there was a necessary need. And one of them was to open the box of the Aaron to pull out the original Sefer Torah and verify what the correct reading is. Uh, this original Torah, again, is a very interesting because uh, uh, we don't know whether it had Nikudas or not. This is a big debate in the Rishonim and the Achronim and all that sort of thing. Uh, you know, was the original Torah look like ours, or meaning without the kudos, or on the contrary, did it have him with all the Masoretic Gadol and Masoretic Tana? It's all science that most people are interested through Masoretic studies, whereas it says in the Perkei of Masoretz Yogla Torah, not Masora, Masoret, Masores, right? And that has to do with the traditions about how to uh, punctuate uh, the Chumash. And I remember the Ragachav and others; they say the original Torah. Uh, had all the Nakudas and all the Trump and all the other things in it. Uh, many others in the Middle Ages particularly uh, argued the opposite. They said the original Torah did not have any Nakudas in it, but that was essentially a polemic. A anti- they didn't know that's an anti-Karaite argument. The Karaites say all you do is live by the Chumash. You don't need a Torah Shavuot So the counter-argument would say, you can't even read the Chumash without the Torah Shavuot because you don't know what the Nakudas are. And everything that you find in there comes from Mesorah. So you see... 
that a a a, a, a Torah um, culture, uh, which is bereft of Masoretz and strictly totally uh, relies on the chumash in front of you, is a lie because even the, the vowels, you know, even the punctuation marks are coming from tradition, Torah so to speak, by transmission. So that's why many of the Rishonim in the Middle Ages tried to argue that way. You understand? Um, there are books on this, you know. Uh, but it's interesting that the Rogachavar and, and, and some others, I think the Ebenezer maybe, I don't remember. Uh, well, Ebenezer is pretty doggone anti-carry, so I, I don't recall. But I remember the Rogachavar, he says the original Torah had the old Anakudas and all the rest of it. And that's Lakoch, the Sefer Torah Zeus. Uh, what happened to this original Torah? The kings of Israel burned them. We had some wicked kings later on in the Bayes Rishon period. I'm talking about the Malchi Yehuda now, not the Malchi Israel, the kings of the south, sons of David Melch, uh, Ochaz, Menashe, those kind of people. Uh, they burned every Sefer Torah they can get a hold of. And it's like Snow White, they were chasing the original Torah to burn it out. And uh, according to some, that's the meaning of the story in the time of King Yoshio, Josiah, when they found the hidden Torah underneath the. Um, Ruins of the temple that they were repairing, it's in the, it's in Malachim and Adirayamim, and they they took it to Hulda and, and to the King Yoshio, and they said, "What is this? And what do you mean, what is this?" Some say they, things were so bad they never even heard of a Sefer Torah. That's how bad Judaism was, which gives you frumkai problems because I thought everybody had you know a continual Masorah you know down the ages, but the other way of looking at it is to say no no they had a Torah and all that, but they found the Torah meaning the original Torah, the one that's mentioned in today's Parsha, in Parsha V'yelech, that went through all kinds of peregrinations and uh, threats and was hidden by true believers, uh, loyal Kohanim under the ground, so that the bad kings couldn't find it, and that's later, later what was found in the time of Yeshio. So you see, this Parsha is really um, interesting. In this regard, Moshe Rabbeinu says, he repeats God's speech. He says, put this uh, Torah inside the uh, box of the ark, and let it be a witness. Because Moshe says, I know you. I've been with you for 40 years. I know your rebelliousness. It's and your stiff necks. I've been dealing with Jewish junk for 40 years. Even when I was alive and I could you know, threaten you, you rebelled against God. And I'm sure once I'm gone, you're really going to upset everything, which is what happened, which is what happened. And therefore, um, Moshe goes on to say, Gather to me all your elders, and I want to, uh, and I want to, I want to uh, give testimony before heaven and earth, meaning I want to make a public speech. Because I know well what God told me, that once I'm gone, and Moshe is about to leave the scene, uh, you'll all screw up, and you all turn away from the path that I tried to lead you, and then the tocha will hit you, and you will anger God, and it'll be pretty bad. And uh, that's the end of the Parsha, by the way. It's not a happy ending. You know, and he, and he uh, proclaimed the whole uh, assembly, and that is Hazinu which is a poem, which if you decode it, is supposed to be saying these words. So Parsha V'yelech is one which says that uh, the future is uh, kind of known, uh, meaning the Jews will not get it right when they get to Israel. It will not be Mashiach time. They will go into Gaulus afterwards, and maybe two times in the Gaulus afterwards. And that's where we find ourselves today, unfortunately. No? Uh, 
But interpreted properly, it just means that you're following tendencies that were discernible from the beginning. In other words, is God saying, I'm going to make you all screw up? No. He's saying, I'm looking at you, and I can tell by your character, by your past, and by your present, that this is going to happen when you hit Israel. It's like taking someone with a history of drinking, and then you put them in a bar, and say, I know it's going to happen. It's not that I predicted it, and my prediction caused the future to happen. I knew who you were, and I put you in a bar. You're going to start drinking and get drunk. So I know you have a disposition, he says, towards a bizarre, to ingratitude, all the rest. And when you get there, it's Israel. This is what's going to happen. Why we read this always in the Aserus Mechuba time, or right before, right after Yom Kippur, is not so clear because it's very, uh, what's the right word? Uh, discouraging. It's very, uh, it's very real, right? In other words, the Torah is not buttering anybody up, it's not flattering anyone, it's telling the way it is, and you know and I know that we're in Gaul today, so obviously the, the Jews do have some serious character flaws. As a nation, we have some big pluses. We know how to make money. We know how to be Nobel Prize winners. We have among us sublime individuals who are great tzaddikim. But we also got the other guys, all right? There are plenty of those around also. Just look at the internet and the scandal of the week, you know? It's, uh, it is what it is. And so uh, the it's eternal battle uh, between, you know, the good among us and the bad among us. Here we are standing Yom Kippur. What's funny about Yom Kippur is everybody's forced to join together. Right? Everybody's forced to join together. The whole Ketoris and everything is all about the good and the bad, isn't it? And that's the central ceremony of Yom Kippur. But I'll save that for a few days. I hope to get in one before uh, every Yom Kippur, maybe on Monday, Tuesday of college, maybe on Monday, um, and we'll take it there. But this is a parsha. It's very easy. It's it's not fun, but it's very easy to read because it's short. I think it's 30 psukim altogether, and very sobering. And uh, if you take a look at the parsha, uh, let's put it this way, it puts you in a very, I would argue, it puts you in a very, um, what's the right word? solemn state of mind as you go into Yom Kippur. Um, and you see why Yom Kippur, a day of forgiveness for mistakes, was hardwired into the Torah in the first place. Because Hashem said, I'm dealing with the Jewish people, and they have tremendous kochus, but they also have tremendous failings. And we have to try to, obviously try to build up the first, and decrease the latter, that goes without saying. And with those short words, I bid you a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.